The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to Psalm 37. And if you need a Bible, just lift up your hand and our brother Clarence will be there to bring you one. Since the beginning of this year, we have been going through the book of Proverbs. And the purpose of this book is that we understand wisdom and insight. But in order for us to know wisdom, we must fear God and know that wisdom comes from God alone. But this morning, we're going to pause our study in the book of Proverbs. But the truth of the Proverbs follow us as we study God's word this morning. We need the Lord to bring us wisdom and understanding. If we approach the word of God in arrogance this morning, thinking that we have nothing new to learn, then we will be like the fool of the Proverbs who despise wisdom and instruction. Instead this morning, let us take a posture of humility and know that wisdom is given to those who ask of it. But you may be wondering, why Psalm 37? Church, I believe that God has placed us in this psalm for a very specific purpose. This psalm gives us insight into why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And I think that each of us in this room can attest to the fact that this world is broken. Death takes people from us unexpectedly. Our bodies fight against us with diseases, anxiety, or depression. Relationships are hard, and work sometimes just really stinks. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. So why Psalm 37? Because we need it. I want you to listen intently to the words of Psalm 37, starting in verse 16 through 20. It says this. Better is little of the righteous person than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glories of the pasture. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to give us wisdom this morning. Father, we are in desperate need of you to come and show us what your word says. We are incapable of understanding without you empowering us to understand, Lord. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this room, Lord. There's so many different situations in our church that are going on, so many people that are weak right now, Lord, and we need you to bring us strength with your word. Do the work this morning, Lord. Get the glory by your grace, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at three comparisons 
of the righteous person and the wicked, and we'll close with one overarching truth that we see in this psalm. But before we do that, it's important that we cover a little bit of background info for why this psalm is being written. So David, the author of this psalm, is writing in his old age, and his main concern is that the people of God are worrying about the prosperity of the wicked. I want you to look at what he says in verse 1 of Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Instead, David employs the righteous to delight in the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to, to commit their way to the Lord and be still before him. But even though the righteous may do this faithfully, it does not circumvent hardships. I want you to look at verse 12 in Psalm 37. It says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Although the wicked plot against the righteous, the Lord does not sit quietly while his people are being oppressed and persecuted. But the Lord opposes the wicked. I want you to look at what David says in verse 13. It says, the Lord laughs in the face of the wicked. The Lord laughs at them because God knows their ultimate end. And I think a question that this psalm poses for us is who has the better promise? Is it the righteous person or the wicked? I want you to direct your eyes to our passage this morning, starting in verse 16. It says, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. The com first comparison we see from this text is the little of the righteous is better than the abundance of the wicked. The little of the righteous is better than the abundance of the wicked. But better. How is it better that the righteous have little while the wicked have abundance? Certainly, if the righteous were to have abundance, the righteous would use it for the glory of God. They would give it away in an act of worship. They would sacrifice. They would provide for the poor. They would give to accomplish God's mission and expand God's kingdom in comparison with the wicked person who wastes it all on themselves, not caring about those in need around them and trying to build their own kingdom and accomplish the mission of self-glory. Now, it's important to note that this psalm is not saying if you have abundance, then you're wicked. I think that this psalm is saying that if you act in this way, then you are acting like the wicked. I want to warn you about what the Word of God says to these people. This is in Acts chapter 5. This is after Ananias and Sapphira sell property, and they give a portion of the money, uh, and they keep a portion of the money to themselves. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Peter says about this. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why have it you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last May this be a warning to us, brothers and sisters, that if God has blessed us in abundance, that we do not treat it like the wicked do. But let us humbly remember the words of David that it's the little of the righteous that's better. But let's circle back to the question. 
How is it better? I want you to look at verse 18 in the passage. David says, The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. David argues that all the wicked have abundance this side of heaven. The righteous ultimately have it better because the righteous have a heritage that is eternal. I want you to listen to the words of 1 Peter, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Doesn't that sound better? An inheritance that is not dependent on your ability to keep it or earn it. Death can't take it. Time can't defile it. This is better. Wealth, materialistic possession, fade, but the inheritance of the righteous is kept in heaven for you. But I think the question needs to be asked, how do you receive this inheritance? Those that receive this eternal inheritance are only those who recognize their sinful and wicked ways and repent of it. And what's repentance? It's the act of turning away from your sin and trusting in the work of Christ on the cross for your behalf who died the death you deserve and rose from the dead. That's how the wicked are made righteous and that's how you get this eternal inheritance. It is a gift, not earned by your doing. It's only through trusting in Christ. And notice, it's not the wicked who obtain this inheritance. It's only the righteous. The wicked waste their life hoarding, spending, and even worshiping their abundance of wealth. But what they have here is all they will have. There is no heritage waiting for the wicked person. The only thing that waits for the wicked is the wages of their sin, which is death. So I exhort you this morning to not waste your life chasing after what this world says is better. Instead, cling to the truth that it's the little of the righteous that is better. And it's better because it's eternal life offered in Christ Jesus. Another comparison we can see from this text comes from verse 17. It says in verse 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Second comparison we can see from this text. The righteous will be strengthened, but the wicked will be broken. The righteous strengthened, but the wicked broken. David makes it clear throughout this psalm that the life of the righteous person is not one without hardships. Listen to what David says in verse 37, uh, verse 32 of chapter 37. He said, The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. How can the righteous person be encouraged that they have it better if wicked people are lying in wait to kill them? Listen to what verse 17 says The arms of the wicked will be broken but the Lord upholds the righteous. Or another way to say this would be, for the strength of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord strengthens the righteous. In the midst of all the hardships that the righteous experience, the Lord is the one who brings strength to his people. And who better 
to be a witness to that truth than David. Remember that at the point when David is writing this psalm, he has faced difficult moments. Armies have attacked him. Saul pursued to kill him, and his own son even betrayed him. And it's in moments like these where David would experience the Lord strengthening him. I want you to listen to the words of 1 Samuel 30. This is after an attack from an enemy army called the Amalekites. And I want you to listen to what verse 6 says. It says, David was greatly distressed, for all the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Or another way to say this would be, David found strength in the Lord his God. The Lord is the one who strengthened David in his distress. So when David writes in Psalm 37, the Lord upholds the righteous, David is not saying this without absolute confidence that it's the truth. So I want you to think about your life today. We may not be attacked from armies trying to kill us, but everyone in this room is experiencing some type of difficulty. It could be depression. It could be grief the ongoing battle of sin that never seems to stop, no matter how much you fight it. How does the Lord strengthen you in the midst of all of your individual difficulties? Well, God uses several different avenues in which he can strengthen his people. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's just three different ways that God can strengthen us. One, the Lord strengthened us with his church, meal trains, an accountability partner to fight sin with, a shoulder to cry on in the midst of difficulty, prayers from brothers and sisters. All of these things strengthen you in the midst of your difficulty. The Lord instituted the church to be an outpost of heaven so that fellow pilgrims on the way to glory will not grow weary or faint. I want you to listen to the words of Colossians 1, 9 through 11 as Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says, this is what Drew read earlier in the service. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his spirit, the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. A second way that the Lord can strengthen us is with his Holy Spirit. Dear believer, do not forget that when you place faith in Christ, the Spirit sealed you as a guarantee for your salvation. You have abiding within you the Spirit of the living God. If you need strength, ask God and he will grant it to you. The words of Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his inner being. And a third way we can see is through the word. Even as you sit here this morning and you're burdened with life's difficulties, the word of God, God acts like a soothing ointment for the burns of your suffering. A, a hymn that really encourages me is called um, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. Uh, and I just want you to listen to what the first stanza says. It says, Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, 
On thee, when waves of troubles roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee, I tell each rising grief, for thou alone canst heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief to every pain I feel. Beloved, let Psalm 37, verse 17, bring a sweet relief to every pain you feel. The arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Christian, you are so loved. There is not a single thing that comes to you without the hand of the Lord your God to be there to strengthen you. Now, I want you to listen to what David says in comparison with the wicked person. He says at the beginning of verse 17, the arms of the wicked will be broken or the strength of the wicked shall be broken. So while the Lord is the one who brings strength to his people, David makes it clear that the Lord will also be the one who breaks the strength of the wicked. The wicked walk in a manner that is not glorifying to God. They live for themselves and they think that strength can come from within. And our culture desperately wants us to believe this, that we're the strong ones, that we are self-sufficient. But this is a lie. To the person who thinks that their strength is enough and they don't need Christ, I beg of you to lay aside your pride and trust in the work of Christ on the cross for you. You are not strong enough to save yourself from the depths of your own wickedness and sin, and you are certainly not strong enough to save yourself from the wrath of God. Christ took that punishment because you weren't strong enough. So trust in him. Because his work is sufficient and his strength is strong enough. Because David tells us what the result will be if you don't trust in Christ and his strength. Look at verse 20 says, But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glories of the pasture. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. Last comparison we can see from this text is number three. The Lord knows the days of the blameless but the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, but the wicked will perish. I want you to look at verses 18 through 20. It says, The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glories of the pasture. They vanish Like smoke, they vanish away. I want you to notice what David says about the righteous, starting in verse 18. We looked at the second half of this verse, but now we're going to look at the first half. It says, the Lord knows the days of the blameless, meaning that God oversees everything in the life of the righteous person. I want you to think about your life. Think about every single difficult moment, every happy moment. Moments when you have been grieved, confused, scared, or isolated. This verse tells you that God was there in the midst. Christian, you are not alone, and God is not distant. I want you to listen to the words of Matthew 10. This is the words of Jesus. Are two sparrows not sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. 
you are of more value than many sparrows. Commenting on this verse, Charles Spurgeon once said, Beloved, if he counts the hairs of your head, if not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge, depend upon it, your most commonest trouble will be sympathized by him. And all their afflictions, he was afflicted. This should offer us great comfort this morning. Our days are under the oversight of the God who watches over the sparrow. And brother and sister, are you not more valuable than they? You are. So take comfort. Your Father sees you. I want you to look down at verse 19 and see what David says about the righteous as well. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. So not only does the Lord watch over the days of the righteous, but the Lord also ensures that his people will not be put to shame. And I think that shame is something we all know too well. Often we're reminded of the shame of our sin. And the enemy makes it his aim every single day to make you look away from the cross and look to yourself. Brothers and sisters, if we look within at our own capability, we will be shamed. So how does this work? In what ways will the righteous not be put to shame? I think that Paul helps us see the full picture in Romans chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, where he says, Endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is saying that if you place your faith in Christ, you will not, cannot be put to shame. God has poured his love into our hearts. Brothers and sisters, we have a hope that will be proved true in the face of sin and death. We will not be put to shame in evil times. The enemy cannot take our hope because one day our hope will be turned to sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump will resound. The Lord will descend. The enemy is the one who will be shamed. And death is broken and so is sin. And that's when he will be shamed because his curse is reversed. And he'll see that he's the one that's shamed. So when David says, They will not be put to shame at evil times. It means that the Christian's hope is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this was also David's hope. He looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, and he said, I put my hope in that, and I will not be put to shame. I want you to look at the second half of this verse now. It says, in the days of famine, they have abundance. Whether it's famine, hurricanes, sickness or loss, God does not stop providing for his people. I want you to listen to this quote. It says, on a foundational level, God always provides what is truly needed to live a life of dependence. Let that sink in for a moment. How often do our ideas of provision have more to do with living in such a way that we are independent? that we're self-sufficient as opposed to being vulnerable or dependent upon God. God doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. We may feel alone, but we aren't. 
He is leading us somewhere. The journey is about deepening our dependence on him. Why? Because dependence is the promised land. Hear that clearly. A life of dependence is the truest, most real hope in our lives. Our hope is in him, not some location outside of difficulty. Dear believer, if God would have you depend on him in this way, and it's the most real hope, should we not rest in this truth? Everything your hands needs, he will provide, and he withholds nothing good from you. I want you to remember, though, what David says in verse 16 about the wicked. They are described as those in abundance, but now it's the righteous who have abundance in days of famine. This is quite the reversal. I want you to now look at what David says in comparison to the righteous in verse 20. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glories of the pasture. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked place their faith in their abundance and their strength, and look at what the result is. The wicked perish. The wicked are called enemies of God, and they vanish away. This is, the, this is a heavy verse, and this is the reality of all of those who do not place faith in Christ. It's not just physical death that David is talking about, but this is the consequences of their own sin and their wickedness. I want you to listen to what Paul says in Romans 2. He said, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does what is evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. May this be a warning to the unbeliever in the room that there will be tribulation and distress if you do not repent. Look to the cross where Jesus took the wrath and fury you deserve. And I think the question that you need to ponder is, who has the better promise? The righteous? They're strengthened by the Lord. They have an eternal inheritance, and the Lord watches over their days as opposed to the wicked person. Their strength is broken. They have no heritage waiting for them, and they perish. As we come to a close of this psalm, I want you to be encouraged with one truth that we can see overarching Psalm 37, and it is God is in control. God is in control. Psalm 37 makes it clear that God is exercising his control over all things. And we see this most clearly in the life of the righteous person and the life of the wicked person. Like when the righteous have little and the wicked have abundance, God is in control. Or when the righteous are strengthened and the wicked are broken, God is in control. Or when the days of the blameless are watched by the Lord and the wicked perish, God is in control. There is nothing that is outside the hand of God. Dear Christian, I want this truth to embolden you this week. And whatever you face, as you grieve, as you suffer through depression, as you go to work this week and it's mundane, I want this truth to encourage you. You need to rest in this. God is in control. He's on the throne. And we know 
that the promise of Romans 8.28 is true. That for those who love God, all things, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is working all things for the good of those who love him. Focus on this reality. If you look at the trial, you will easily lose sight of God on the throne. A theologian once said that it's in our deepest moments of difficulty that we need our best theology. So remember this week and the rest of your days, God's in control and he loves you. For the unbeliever in the room, this truth is not an encouragement to you. And my only exhortation to you this morning is to let go of your sense of control. Because whatever sense of control you think you have is just an illusion. Because guess what? Every breath that you breathe is a gift of grace from God the Father. Every breath. And he's drawing you to himself this morning. So I encourage you to give up your control and trust in Christ. One of the ways that we're going to respond this morning is by singing sovereign over us. And I just want you to listen to the words. It says, there is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fears. You are working in our waiting. You are sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood, faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you that you are the one who is ultimately in control over all things, God. And how often we forget it. How often we can forget it in the moments of difficulty, in the mundane things of life. God, I pray that this week you would encourage your church to remember that you are in control and help me to remember that as well, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would remind us that you watch over our days. And I pray that you would remind us that there is a heritage waiting for us that is eternal. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.